Hello everyone I hope you are doing well we are back with another episode of Blitz Business I hope you will enjoy this podcast Thank you Ayushi for coming over to Blitz Business it's a pleasure to have you Thank you so much Ashish for having me quite excited to be here Wonderful so uh, Ayushi please tell us a little bit about yourself and then uh, we'll talk about your venture Okay. Um, so I think uh, my education and pedigree is a typical, um, I am McKinsey kind of a graduate. I was a topper all throughout my school. And then similarly in my high school, in my undergrad, then I went to IIM Calcutta, graduated as a silver medalist. So I've been a very geeky person all along. And then eventually I wasn't sure what next. So I decided to join McKinsey because it gave you the opportunity to um learn across various types of fields um and uh, organization to any other functional area and event um and then also industrial sectors whether it be banking healthcare so it was fun um and then eventually um after a couple of years in the corporate i think a lot of people start thinking what next and i also reached that stage about 6 6 and 1/2 years of working in mckinsey having learned all the tricks of the trade um and then then decided to jump on into doing fable street so what what sort of led you to start fable street specifically you know what sort of idea or what sort of motivation you had or you were just trying out so uh, that's actually a very interesting question ashish um um i think after a couple of years in the um in the um, mnc or a corporate right i basically realized that there is has to be a limit to the rat race that you're trying to run and you've always you always keep on sitting in a constant hope on what <laughs> what next and if you will achieve this then you will be happy you are excited if you achieve this you'll be happy or excited so it was a fantastic learning journey for me um in mckinsey and i absolutely enjoyed uh, and learned quite a bit but i also reached a stage where i wanted to focus on um some area where i could ha- i could have a much more larger impact and a much more meaningful impact uh in people's lives and that's when the idea of fable street uh began um of course i also wanted to ensure it is a commercial venture it was a little bit too early in my career to jump into a non commercial venture but my bigger vision with fable street and outside of it is actually to make professional uh women feel beautiful and confident it is about contributing to the lives of professional women having been one myself and ensuring that they have a very successful career journey and in that context is how i think the early uh lens on fable street began um of we are a commercial brand which focuses on great quality workwear which fits you well for women and um, the genesis of the idea was also from the point of view that when you dress well you feel happier and confident about yourself and india had a big, massive need gap for any good quality brand providing and addressing this need so it kind of i would say married a little bit of a personal vision um, and also a very commercial uh, need with a large business outcome potentially and that's how i thought about doing fable street and then left mckinsey back in 2015 to do so wow and what is your currently the target audience so we cater to professional women um, across uh, all the age groups and all corporate fields fields of life um 
given that majority of the industry sits in metros and tier one cities, so that's where the core target audience resides. Um, that's the kind of group. We wanted to be international from day one, both from a, a relevance and a concept perspective. So we also cater to a lot of women internationally, mostly NRI, uh, because we also focus on Indian body sizes and fits. Mm-hmm. And and when you started Fable Street uh, back in 2015, uh, what was the uh, channel you tapped in in terms of uh, retail, online space? How did you put together everything and started it out? So I was actually very clear on how I wanted to launch Fable Street. Um, First, I was a consumer, so I knew what the product needed. And I also did significant amount of research. Second, I was also very clear in terms of business model that I wanted to go online first with your own website because we wanted to build a brand. And back in 2015, offline still seemed very expensive. But of course, over time, we realized that online is not cheap either. But the initial launch of channel was uh, going online via own website and focusing on product being the hero uh, and then focusing on brand building. And what was your, in terms of thought process, when you started out uh, uh, in user acquisitions, what were your strategies and how did you get your sort of first break, first few customers, first few hundred customers, you know, what sort of strategy you followed back in 2015? So the first strategy was literally word of mouth and trying to reach into your network. I I mean, at least the first uh, 50 to 100 customers need to come from that. And I still have a very nice um, learning from that. When we launched, we waited at least a month and a half to two months to um, actually start formal digital marketing. Until then, it was primarily word of mouth, getting early feedback, and then using our existing customers to drive more. In fact, the interesting anecdote I had to tell was we actually launched on 2nd of September, um 2016 and um it started with me just writing a an honest facebook post about why i started it and you can find it it got shared so many times i was quite surprised and got so much of engagement and our website traffic shot up uh surprisingly to about 80 to 100 users live and we never anticipated like on day one we were ready to crash it was quite an interesting journey but i think what i realized was that if you honestly try to set up something with a real need gap, at least you will get some early traction and excitement from the relevant consumers. So that was our approach to getting the first 100, 200 users. And I think at back in 2015, if I can remember correctly, uh, Facebook used to, so if when you used to share a post, it used to appear on everyone's timeline, not ni- like now, uh, where it, it selectively comes in your timeline. So I think that might be also a little bit of factor. I played a little so. bit of. I think so, but Facebook was very mature back then as well. So mm-hmm. some early um, algorithms of Facebook where, you know, uh, it will appear when there is engagement were in place. Because when we started digital marketing is when we realized that it is really expensive. I think 2011, 2012 were early days when Facebook did not have those algorithms too much sorted. But we launched in 2016, which is about four and a half, five years back. Uh, back then, algorithms were mature. Wow. <laughs> and it's then not, so... I mean, they weren't as bad as today, but they were. <laughs> <laughs> definitely. And what was the uh, so you op- you started operating through uh, online channels? And what was your first? When did you open your first retail outlet? 
So we opened our first retail outlet about a year back, exactly a month before COVID hit. So, oh, <laughs> yes, um, we have had a lovely time with it, but we have had a not so great outcome of it, at least given the context of COVID. Um, so the way we approached the entire journey was first two years would be focusing on brand building via your own website. Um, and also getting the product market fit right. And then after that, we started expanding digitally itself by going on multiple marketplaces back in 2018 uh, and early 2019, and then eventually jump into retail. And we opened our first retail store in um, February 2020, just a month before COVID hit. And uh, of course, then it went into lockdown, but we are now back on track, very excited with the retail store and the growth uh, interesting timing uh, so let's let's dive deeper into business side of it so how do you currently position your business i mean uh, uh, are you competing with the likes of the swedish company h&m or the likes of the spanish company zara like who all are your competitors and how are you looking to currently how do you currently position yourself sure so the first thing is, see, we are very clear in terms of positioning. We are a premium workwear brand with a clear USP of offering tailored fits or sizes which work for Indian body types. Um, having said that, we know that we are in a business of fashion Western wear segment. So the category we are in is not just purely workwear because there is a big gray area in terms of, you know, what you define workwear for women. But we, from a consumer point of view, to have a clear niche and also to have a sharp a sharpness in terms of execution, we are focusing on workwear as of now. And how frequently do you, so a couple of uh, uh, questions. So what are, how many SQUs currently you offer and what's the frequency of your uh, replenishment yeah. of your items? So we have more than 1,000 SKUs live at, um, at this point in time. We typically refresh and replenish every uh, two weeks. We would launch something or new or the other just to bring in a little bit of excitement. And by just by being online, right? So there is no autumn, winter or spring, summer and two seasons. It is something that you need to uh, keep engaging the audience with. So we, we do smaller drops. We don't do a 200, 300 piece drop. We would do a 15 to 20 piece drop, but we will do it every two weeks. Wow, two weeks. Tell us a little more about how the supply chain side of things looks like. I mean, uh, uh, how do you uh, how do you procure? What's your supply chain looks like? So we have a very optimized approach to supply chain, and that was one of the early uh, processes and thoughts when we thought about the business model itself. So for the first two years, we were pretty much just in time in terms of manufacturing. So we would actually manufacture once we would get the order so we would um, we would get the fabrics in-house we would procure them we will keep them with us and then um, sample out the first lot of collection and once the collection starts selling is when we would actually start manufacturing the pieces um, as we scaled up we realized that we do need a bit of inventory in place and we have now become extremely optimized in terms of running through inventory and we basically uh, have almost 80 to 90% of our SKUs in stock and we replenish at much higher frequency. That's how we typically work. 
but overall the mindset and the approach to it is work on very low inventory base so that you don't jump get into this uh, liquidation of inventory over long term which was also the the reason we were actually out of covid very quickly thankfully with the approach we have built and that's also a strong technology lever we have at this point in time so we've built a very strong supply chain leveraging leverage which leverages technology to deliver just in time in a very very short time frame like 4 hours to 8 hours and how do you sort of keep up uh, because i've seen many retailers in fashion uh, they face a lot of challenges in terms of keeping up with the trends you know so what goes behind you know how do you identify or how do you select the designs for every two week i mean the, for the for replenishment so uh, that's an interesting question right i mean i think that's a consumer proposition to be able to launch something every two weeks and it's a conscious but from a business point of view we typically plan at least launches about two months out and thankfully we are in a workwear segment where you know it's not extremely recent trends that matter also india is not as trend oriented as a geography as compared to i would say what a european geography like a paris or something would be so mm-hmm. we don't need to i would say be extremely trend oriented and we are not a fast fashion brand so we don't want runway styles to push back here we are workwear so we have to be conscious in terms of what customers are looking for and what needs are and then marry a little bit of a dr- design sensibility and a strong design ethos to it so it's not a trend issue that we need to keep up with i would say it's just about being on point and relevant in terms of seasons timelines uh concepts and color palettes to think about and that's something that you become smart i would be, i would say with time when you started ayushi coming back going a little back so when you started fable street what was the sort of uh, the most difficult aspect when you started out uh, just after quitting mckinsey um i think the most difficult aspect was actually uh, making the product um it seemed very easy right there is a tailor at every corner for most of the people right so it when you have a vision of a product in mind and i wanted to ensure that there is a significant focus on high quality and sizing getting that product out was actually really really difficult i was fooled by a bunch of fashion designers who i initially hired i wasn't smart and i had to really become extremely smart in the about the industry within um, i would say a very short span of time i was really taken aback by how unorganized the sector is you know i'm coming from mckinsey consulting where i would never carry um, any cash with me every my world revolved <laughs> around with credit cards and then <laughs> मार्केट जाते हो तो हर जगह तुमसे कैश मांगते हैं जर्नी you mentioned you have currently 1000 uh, skews do you plan to add uh, you plan to add new brands to fable street or new categories of product or you plan to stick to your current plan so um 
so we by the way keep on adding new skews um, and uh, revamping the entire category regularly that's who we are and that's what we are like as a business we want to stay relevant and we want to stay agile um we've already added we started with apparel with the focus on uh, formal wear um with covid coming in you know the definition of workwear kind of evolved and tees started becoming a a way of life um so work from home is a newer concept so we keep on evolving right so tees are the new workwear i would say and we've added that category so we keep on adding a lot of categories beyond apparel we've also ventured into shoes and jewelry which are doing very very well lately for us so overall um from a longer point longer term point of view i think uh, we will evolve into a brand which addresses lifestyle needs of professional working women and as a business which sort of category makes much more sense in terms of unit economics i think all the lifestyle categories make a lot of sense we still of course want to stay away from personal care which is the hottest trend across because we are not into it but you know as a business um, um i would say that most of these categories operate at significant gross margins and we as a business stand for quality comfort and fit and as long as we can deliver these three aspects to the consumers in any category we will keep on adding it assuming that there is relevance of the category and it falls in the brand umbrella and semblance of the brand so in your entire supply chain all the components are in house or you have outsourced like for example designing or etc or you are doing everything in house so apparel we do almost everything in house um because that's how we set up ourselves and we also do this custom fits and tailoring which uh, which focuses on your body measurements so we had to do it in house and we still do it significantly in house for all the other businesses like jewelry um and uh, shoes we design them in house we sample them with and then we work with contract manufacturers to deliver the outputs and products for us which is how a typical industry or a brand would operate you have raised uh, funding from fireside ventures i think approximately 21 crores just walk us through you know what led you to raise capital what was sort of your uh, vision in mind you know why you wanted to raise capital sure. yeah sure. so um um it takes about 6 to 8 months to raise the capital anyone who's hearing and people who are new to it should know we were mm-hmm. fortunate that we could manage to raise it in less than 2 to 3 months um the objective for raise was that as a business we have set up the business to be uh, profitable and all the core aspects of business which is cogs operations and marketing funds itself and we were now uh, we were back then um, in the zone to scale up and therefore we needed funds to scale up so the fu- the future funds that we ended up raising were focused from a scale up perspective and investing in tech inventory uh, retail build out as um, as you saw that we opened up our first store last year that that was the objective and of course the team to deliver across that's how we thought about the fundraise and the logic behind fundraise what else would be helpful to know about the process i can run you through a process <laughs> fairly long so uh, let's start with uh, uh in term sheets uh, for example or in any aspect of the fundraising which you found sort of challenging or in terms of uh, touching on different aspects from uh deploying capital for example so you know 
so we were fortunate that we had a bunch of term sheets with us which was also good to know that the business was doing well and there was a lot of outside and external um, investor interest so that worked quite well in our favor um but having said that you know when you touch the topic of term sheets it's a very difficult topic because like any founder you're quite new to these terms and so much of complications and so many legal jargons it's not funny so you know term sheets was a fun but a long process for us uh, once we had the term sheet like going through each and every clause was quite complicated and i would urge anyone and everyone to have a very strong legal counsel to assist you um the intent is very good from both the sides from the founders as well as vcs but term sheets can become fairly complicated if you're not expert at that so but that was an interesting process it took me about 10 to 15 days to close on the term sheet which is nothing but a three page piece of paper and post that actually the entire process of due diligence takes a lot of energy and effort um it's uh, intended again with the right purpose and actually helps the business really get in order but it takes a lot of mental bandwidth and during the fundraise pre and post the fundraise until you actually have the money in the bank usually your bandwidth goes whether it's a single founder or multiple founders so please be aware that the business suffers for a period of time mhm and Uh, Ayushi, there there has been a trend into the market. So, if I touch upon uh, in terms of growth and profit, I caught me. So, uh, you mentioned right, you quit McKinsey that that particular rat race, uh, uh, and to join this particular different sort of race altogether. So, how does it work in terms of you know? Uh, there are certain targets expectations which comes into the picture right uh, certain uh, revenue expectations etc because uh, you have injected certain amount of capital into the business yeah. uh, which will be delivering x amount of revenue over the years if those targets are not met again you are required to raise certain amount of capital etc in your particular business how does the current scenario look like in terms of is it a profitable business how does the uh, unit economics look like and do you plan to raise another fund anytime soon so i mean in our case and i would say in anyone's case right typically when you raise funds as you rightly said that uh, it comes with a set of expectations and growth targets um by like one of the reasons we could raise funds relatively easily was because the business fundamentals were very strong so our path to profitability has been very strong um we have consistently been uh, cm2 positive so therefore uh, the burn is primarily on the team which focuses on scale up it's not about burn from a acquisition perspective our average order values were high so therefore overall you know the as long as the business fundamentals are strong and you're looking at the right growth and trajectory it works well um for us it's going to be a little bit hard to say much because after raising the funds we hit covid the only thing i can say is that uh, uh the investors have been overall very supportive and um, and there hasn't been a lot of growth pressure in the early few months of covid because the entire world was running through it at the same time we came in with very strong cost control measures upfront itself and focusing consistently focusing further on profitability so we are now out of covid and the risk area um, not looking to raise funds immediately we are quite sorted for next 2 uh, to 3 years to come what is your strategy in terms of growth do you plan to have a truly omni channel strategy or you want to add more retail outlets 
so we certainly intend to be omni channel and we have been online first d2c brand and then eventually also expanded across marketplaces so today actually about 95% of the revenue is from our online channels both our own website as well as the other marketplaces like mintra nike etc um so we intend to remain here and grow strongly over here at the same time we will go um, heavy into retail i would say step by step so we want to be truly omni channel and really bring in the elements of omni channel in the country which don't exist today which is order online pick up offline um have an integrated platform to see what's available online get it in store etc a bunch of those things and that's very interesting in terms of 90 95% of revenue comes through your online channel how do you deal with the issues of returns because i'm sure uh the size is a very key aspect of it uh in this entire piece the trial and everything so what is your current sort of uh strategy to deal this, with this particular scenario of returns and sizing issues so we as a business um, i mean back in 2015 itself when we were setting up we knew that sizing is something that we needed to solve so overall you know we have really solved it fairly well and we don't struggle with returns our returns are in single digits so that's not a struggle for us touchwood um, and this comes on the back of excessive data we collect on body measurements and sizing and we improvise a sizing regularly um so we don't struggle a lot in terms of returns and sizing i would say okay so what's the what's the what's the your current biggest cha- uh, challenge uh, while running fable street so yaar to be honest the <laughs> biggest challenge is what does the new wave of workwear look like covid <laughs> has got us really and i think it's going to go through a very strong product um, reorientation story because we were pretty much in a lockdown for like almost 6 to 8 months across and i would say at least 60 to 80% of the places still the work from home hasn't opened up so therefore what's happened is you know uh, the inertia of working from home focusing on garments which are much more comfortable it's kind of like really got an embedded in consumers mind so we actually don't know that tomorrow when you go back to office would you want to go and uh, wear the fitted dress that you would typically wear would you want to go back and wear those heels or would you want to um, i would say you know wear a tee to work so there's going to be a complete evolution of workwear i would say for both men and women um with time because it wasn't a short time frame that you were at home you're so being used to at home for a much longer time and the focus on comfort has come back so that's the current biggest channel challenge story uh, um, and it's going to be an exciting journey so we are in massive product experimentation zone we are mm. doing so many different things of course completely keeping in mind what customers want and having conversations with them we by the way are very good at keeping in touch with our customers and understanding the needs um so hopefully that all of those elements with work i i can share my personal experience i think it resonated very well with what you just said so uh, recently i started going out for sales call etc meeting customers and i was looking at my shoes like these boots heavy boots i was like no way i'm going to wear them like it's just exactly. like <laughs> yeah so um yeah no i mean i'm i'm sure right so you have to that's going to be the core um, approach and it's going to be interesting to see how it evolves uh, in fact offices have also become quite open right so they will 
I would I I actually feel that the new wave wave of work will will be a lot of semi formal wear incorporated in the workwear for men as well. Mm-hmm. And where how do you see the impact of uh, uh, COVID coming off soon, or uh, how do you see the current landscape opening up for you as a business? uh touching pre covid levels or are you at currently pre covid levels so um touchwood we are very fortunate we are actually 1.8 times pre covid oh. so yes we have been massively into product experimentation and we have been very agile so we were the first to launch work from home wear and people laughed at it long back but now there is something called as a work from home wear properly uh, in india we also incorporated these um uh, and then we were very strong on the winter wear so we've kind of picked up and recovered the growth um back on track and we are quite out of the danger zone so yeah so nothing to complain much about but as i said right all of this has come on a back of excessive experimentation and learning along the way and in terms of so your uh, best selling products are these are currently work from home Yes, yes, yeah. yes. In fact, as you rightly pointed out, and let me tell that what used to sell pre-COVID and what sells now, like only forty percent of the business that, uh, or what we would sell pre-COVID sells today. So not remaining sixty percent is everything new that we have done and experimented with, like um, jeggings, extra stretch pants, and knitwear. All of that is actually much more relevant in the post-COVID era. i'm hoping that this will end very soon but yeah um having said that i would say that from an overall industry perspective i think apparel industry is going to still take some time to recover back to the pre covid era overall and uh, and we also uh, have been a little bit of a victim of situation where discounting has been massive because everyone has been in a liquidation spree from the last years inventory mm-hmm. given the inventory build up so until a couple of those issues get resolved with time and it's going to take at least another 3 to 6 months to do so uh the industry is going to take some time to pick up so we also have to tread the waters very carefully and how do you sort of do this sort of experimentation do you have focus group or how do you come up with these different different designs you mentioned uh what has been the strategy so i first of all don't call them designs they are actually concepts because um they have to be relevant to the consumer and we focus a lot on functional details that matter to the consumers so the way we typically do so is um so initially when the covid i hit right we had to believe our guts and intuitively understand and we are a team of i would say in the entire corporate team of 30 people at least uh, 20 are women right so just to understand and figure out what are our needs is something as a process we go for and that helps us intuitively understand what the larger group would want and over time now on the concepts and what we do we of course not just do focus group but we really go deep and do in dsis deep structure interviews with the consumers to understand how they spend their day and what comes in their lives and that's how we get to know therefore what their needs are sometimes they are also not strong enough to articulate their needs but we eventually have to be smart to realize so for example when we talk about work from home wear right as a concept it seems seems very easy and it's like let's just make some easy breezy pieces and <laughs> to wear pieces and that's when you focus right but you have to really go deeper into a woman's life so work from home for a 
woman would mean first of all you know things like you are as easy things like you are not going to sit in the ac environment permanently so co- polyesters don't work you have to focus on cottons but then also thinking through you know the way day goes we were cooking our own food so you cannot have longer sleeves you have to have shorter sleeves you would avoid wearing whites because your clothes will get dirty when you're doing five other things in parallel uh you probably don't have proper work desks at home so many times you are lounging around sitting on a chair or sitting on the floor while you are working right so therefore thinking about extremely comfortable pants elasticated waist pants um for women you know uh, divided skirts instead of regular skirts because it's easier when you're sitting cross legged for women so really going deep into the needs of what women go through during the day and then uh, converting them into the garments uh, that matter to them is how we actually build that collection that's why it was a truly work from home collection and um, and that's why it worked i mean and we are a very non discounted brand so oh, like we sold that off and pretty much sold out of the collection this, despite the entire world was on 60 to 80% discount wow wow amazing a lot of thought process Yes, yes, and it's about being just really smart and trying to understand what people are going through. Wow, wonderful! Um, so, Ayushi, after uh, you know, um, starting from back in twenty fifteen until now, um, you have uh, understood the details of the business very well. Uh, so, what will be sort of your suggestion, or let me put it the other way: if you were to start again, uh, what would you have done differently? Yeah, it's a very hard question, and many people <laughs> ask me that question, and I really reflect. It's very hard to pinpoint one thing. I would say, um, actually, I, I mean, the real answer is that you don't want to be doing things differently, and I want to just continue the path, uh, the way I did so. Um, if I were to really think hard and say something, then I would say I would try scaling up even faster than what I tried scaling up with. Um, and maybe probably have a co-founder oh so uh, so how do you uh, uh, so okay let me pick the second piece first so do you plan to have co-founder anytime soon or yeah right now we are like too long into the business but my entire team actually which has stayed with me for like almost since the inception is like a co-founding team to me so now there is a lot of comfort with this entire team so there's no reason and no need for a specific designated co-founder title mm-hmm. um but you know it just helps because of the challenges and the struggles you go through alone as an entrepreneur uh it just helps if you had a co-founder so that's where i came from that you know why not have that covid has been you know a te- testing uh time for any founder and actually in any shape and any business right and uh, it becomes really mentally stressful as well so it just helps if you have someone to bounce off the ideas and thoughts with definitely i mean uh, I, i absolutely agree with you on that particular point uh, having co-founders helps a lot for sure uh, because the journey is full of full of ups and downs uh, and it's yeah. good to have uh, and share the experience and come out of it uh, much stronger uh, so you mentioned in terms of scaling much more aggressively uh, so what sort of uh, idea you had in mind in terms of maybe raising capital earlier or uh, what sort of things you considered you could have done i think the biggest thing was that you know um 
after a while, once you start running the business, right, you do get impatient for it to scale. Um, and for us, we did raise funds to scale it up quite aggressively. And literally, when we raised funds within two months, COVID hit. So it's I, I would say a little bit of an external situation as well. But overall, I would say that once you do have the product market fit right, which we kind of established by um, between 2018 and early 2019, then we should look to scale significantly and at a much faster rate. Capital has to come in sooner. Um, and um, and then, of course, you need to run and go all out across channels. So how do you quantify in terms of there is a product market fit? I mean, different entrepreneurs have different definition for their product. But for you, what was the moment, you know, you you thought, okay, this is what, you know, it's this is really working. So for us, I mean, when we quantify, right, I think we, we saw that for, we kind of, we scaled up from year one to year two with all the core business fundamentals in place you know like so for example when you have the early 100 consumers if your average order values are 4000 5000 sometimes you worry that listen when you scale it will become 2000 or something around it right you keep on thinking that you know the first users are much more experimenters and everything around it so there has to be a minimum mass of consumers and there has to be a little bit of a clear uh, frequency or data to support that this is staying consistently as a metric for you so we waited for about like after first year right we waited for a full year to fully think through and understand that you know core metrics so for till date across last four and a half years of business more than 40 percent of the monthly revenues come from repeat customers our average order values have held or actually have gone up uh, across the years they have never gone down um, so you know those are the core interesting metrics when you realize that there is significant consumer traction and things are still holding up as a business that's when you know you've kind of gotten the product market fit and of course third is i would say a lot of intuitive touch and feel with the consumers to understand whether it's working or not Wow, that's uh, brilliant in terms of, I think you definitely have a very strong user base, customer base, uh, 44% uh, is no small task to achieve yes. in terms of the uh, repeat uh, orders. Uh, I think you have done an excellent execution of your brand for sure. And it reflects in different, different KPIs and metrics. Uh, wonderful, Ayushi. It was a pleasure to have you and, you know, uh, to have your story. It's a very fascinating brand for sure. Uh, uh, I will be, I cannot say I will be trying it out, but I will be definitely uh, on, a, uh, on a lookout on how you're doing and uh, definitely wish you all the best. Thank you so much. But you can always spread the word and uh, get the people in your friend circle to know us. But it was lovely talking to you, Ashish. Thank you for listening. We will be back with another episode of Blitz Business. Stay tuned.